everyone. Welcome back to Boom Talk. Today, teaching myself to make a homemade blasting cap. And if this works, it'll be step one in making our own improvised explosive. Might be headed to Texas for the winter. What's in Texas? This project. What kind of project? Trying to stop the pipeline from being built on my property. Poisons the air, water. Damn, this place is sick. You guys cooking meth in here? You ready to start working? We have to show how vulnerable the oil industry is by hitting something big. Michael, what do you think the odds are we blow ourselves up? I don't really care. Blow the pipe at the hilltop. Keep the oil from leaking. You're not actually thinking. I'm not thinking about it. I'm doing it. What if y'all do structural damage? Structural damage is kind of the point. This is destruction of federal property. Terrorism. American Empire calls us terrorists, then we're doing something right. Let those who profit from mass death know their properties will be trashed. Three, two, one. They will defame us and claim this was violence or vandalism. But this was justified. This was an act of self-defense. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Toure. And Eric Wong. It's been a while, but we actually got some listener mail this week. It's about our episode on Netflix's beef from last week. So I was thinking maybe we respond to this email we got. It's from a listener named Greg. And then uh, we'll get into our main review. Greg wrote us, he says... First of all, I just want to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. I've been listening for a while now and love hearing you guys talk about movies and TV. Keep up the great work. I wanted to send you this email regarding Netflix's beef. When your episode drops, the stuff about David Cho, which you guys mentioned briefly, had only just surfaced. Now over a week later, what are your thoughts on the situation and how it's been handled, particularly the silence from Lee Sung Jin, Ali Wong, and Stephen Yun? As an Asian American myself, I have very, very conflicted feelings, and I am wondering how you are navigating your feelings since you all like the show so much. Thanks for your time, Greg. First of all, thank you, Greg. You're my favorite listener now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Until the next person sends us email. <laughs> for just sending us an email? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. Low bar to clear. Well, it doesn't take much for you, man. <laughs> I was going to say, I, on the other hand, hate Greg because he asked pretty incisive questions. It's going to be pretty difficult to answer. <laughs> So thanks for putting us in a publicly difficult spot, dickhead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an honor. You got called dickhead by Amir. It takes a while for Amir to call me a dickhead. So. <laughs> <laughs> like at least two days of knowing you. No, I'm kidding, Greg. Thank you for the question. It's actually, I think it's a very, very intelligent question. Something we were, I think, struggling with last week, even as we released last week's episode. Admittedly. Greg, I think, brings up a good point that this came out or it became more and more prominent as like a story after we recorded. Yeah, like, absolutely. To the point where 
I was spilling all that stuff about David Cho and you guys were like, oh, there's this incident. I'm like, I didn't know about this incident. So I actually didn't really know what you guys were talking about last week. I think if we knew more about it, we would have talked more about it on the podcast. I think Mm -hmm. just the day we recorded, it had just come out that there was something about David Cho making comments on some podcast. I hadn't even seen the video as of when we were recording, but over the next couple of days and like over the last week, it was just an escalation of things coming out about David Cho that have not been very, very flattering for him. We should probably just give a little recap of what happened with David Cho. So it came to light that he made an appearance on a podcast and joked about sexually assaulting a masseuse. And he said how thrilling it was to have this potential to go to jail. And people are very rightfully, I think, outraged by these comments. And then some other things surfaced too. Like he's an artist, so he's done work with comics and like comic creators. So he wrote an open letter to Joe Quesada a couple of years ago about some behind the scenes stuff that I really have no clue about. But That letter was like filled with a bunch of homophobic slurs, and he called mentally handicapped people mutants and freaks. A lot of not-so-great things about David Cho coming into light this past week. The show's been really well-received, so for this to come out and really take over the conversation, I think a lot of people are having conflicted feelings about this. What do you guys think? It's unfortunate because it's a real turd in the punch bowl, right? Because it's a show that people are really enjoying, and this is definitely casting a pall over it. Mm-hmm. I didn't even hear about these other comments with the Joe Quesada letter and whatnot. I'd only heard about the podcast thing. Mm-hmm. So David Cho, to give him his due, I guess, he claims that he was just joking. This was like a performance art thing. And it seems like it kind of disappeared because this was in 2014. So it kind of disappeared the last eight, nine years, mostly, right. uh, until just popping up again now that he's back in the limelight. But uh, I mean, I got to say, I don't think I buy his excuse. I'm not going to lie. I don't either. I mean, best case scenario, he's a racist and a misogynist, and that joke is not funny at all. Wait, he's a racist too? I didn't even well, get that Well, I mean, part. if you're joking and you're making up that story, why are you making the masseuse black, right? What's oh, the I point in doing that? that? Yeah, so like, what the fuck is that? I mean, if it's true, you're literally a rapist. Either way, it's really, really bad. Yeah, I guess the C is better than the P, but only marginally. I mean, I guess the best we could hope for is that he's not lying and that he didn't do these awful things, right? Like, I mean, that would be better, right? Mm-hmm. But it's difficult. I can't say you can't enjoy the show or enjoy the performances in the show or even enjoy his performance in the show. But I guess maybe, I don't know, I guess the best thing is just make sure people know about this and like, don't support him personally and don't support his work. I mean, that's probably be the way I would go. You know, I think it would be inappropriate to like, I don't know, give him a whole mess of awards or treat him like he's a martyr or something, you know? Like, let's not Roman Polanski the situation. Yeah, at the very least, just don't support his work. And if you want to extend that to boycotting things he's in or calling for him to get fired or taking off a certain projects, I mean, I, I think that's pretty reasonable <laughs> given what he's sort of admitted to. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What, what do you guys think? From some of the stuff I read, he was also commissioned to do a pretty big art piece in New York in 2017, and I think it came up again. Right, the same kind of incidents of this podcast, and now it's coming back again because of his success with Beef. I mean, I think in like 2019 and 2020, he released his own show on Hulu, the David Cho Show. I don't see any reports saying like it was brought up during that. I am not at all condoning what he did. I think it's in very poor taste. It's absolutely the wrong choice for him to even joke about it. You know, he keeps saying performance art, but like I think, yeah, like you guys, I think that's complete bullshit. But he has been very apologetic about it and he still 
has been apologetic, owning up to his mistake. Um, whether you believe him or not, that's for you to decide. But it does bring up another question of how far does this need to follow somebody, right? I mean, this is almost 10 years ago. And this is, you know, something that it seems people keep wanting to bring up about him. This is something that's been following him and he was still given his own show. He was still approached for this. Well, and like, I mean, I just want to say the only thing is that we don't know whether he was joking or he was telling the truth about sexually assaulting someone. So, like, if he actually sexually assaulted someone, that should follow him forever. Forever. Like, yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Your apology is fucking means nothing. Yeah. You sexually assaulted your someone. Your apology is go straight to jail. <laughs> your, yeah. Your, but, your apology yeah. should be going to jail. But if you just made a dumb comment, I mean, the other way to look at it is like, has any victim or anyone come forward and said, hey, yeah, he did do this to me? Like, we haven't heard from the supposed woman, right? You're right. Yes. Also, we shouldn't be putting the onus on the woman to come forward either. Like, no, it shouldn't yeah. be on her to prove that the situation like, is. She might not even be able to come forward. Like, what if she doesn't know his name yeah. or, like, remember, yeah. like, you don't know that situation. There's not a connection there, right? Like, you don't know. Yeah. So, like, I think absent that, it's kind of difficult to go any deeper on that. You just have to make a gut check as to whether you believe him or not. But to get back to, like, Break's question about what do we think about the silence from, well, the creators of Beef and then, of course, it's stars who are, my understanding, like, friends of David Cho. I'm not saying that they need to outright disown him, but, I mean, I think they're right in not necessarily supporting him, right? Not going out other way to, like, uh, no, we defend our friend. I mean, I think maybe they have taken the best step at just, like, kind of being silent about it all. I don't know what you guys think. I think it's kind of shitty of them to stay silent mm -hmm. about this. I think as Asians and Asian Americans, at least me and you, Derek, we're pretty much starving for crumbs when it comes to representation, and especially good representation, right? Which I think we all agreed that beef was. Yeah. But we can't let that blind us to, like, shitty behavior. And I think, you know, this is one of those... Cases where it's super easy for Netflix, Lee Sung Jin, Ali Wong, or Steven Yeun to just come out and be like, hey, you know, David Cho is a friend of ours, and he was a part of the show, but we cannot condone his actions and the joke on the podcast and like all the other things. It's so easy for them to come out and do that and get ahead of the situation, you know? And the longer they stay silent, I think the more complicit they are trying to like sweep this under the rug. Maybe it does just go away if they don't talk about it though, right? Because like, Okay, they can come out and say, hey, we condemn it. What does that mean? If you're still friends with him and you're still working with him, right? Like, I feel like if you come out and say you're against it, then you have to kind of say, okay, so then what's the next step? Do we just say that to say it? Or are we going to do something about David Cho? This is another case where it's so easy for them because he's not even going to be on the show anymore. He's dead on the show, right? He's not going to come back. So Sure, but it's not just the show. Yeah, though, right? no, obviously. You are saying something about this guy and are you going to work with him in the future? No, I mean, it, it all hinges on whether he's telling the truth or not about yeah. this being a fictional story, right? Because if it is a fictional story, I agree with you. It's kind of like an eye roll. This is 10 years ago, he made some bad decisions, and we can kind of hope that he's become a better person and moved on. But then if it's not fictional, then, then yes. not enough has been done, right? So it's like, yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. I think if you can joke about something like that, I don't think you should be a part of functioning society either way. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's an utterly insane thing to be joking about, especially yes. when you bring like that race aspect into it. That's why I don't believe it's a joke. It doesn't make sense. After hearing all this stuff, it does tarnish, well, not, maybe not his performance, but like what I do think of him, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. 
for me, it doesn't take away the great performances from Stephen Young, Nelly Wong, the great story that they've crafted with the creator. If he never comes back and he never is a thing in media again, I don't really care. You know what I mean? I think it's easy for like Stephen Young or Ali Wong to be like, oh, I never knew this about this guy. I mean, it's like one podcast appearance, one open letter he posted so long ago. But like you said, they are pals with him. Mm-hmm. They probably knew. And I think that makes it kind of worse that they're not saying anything. I mean, maybe they believe their friend, right? Like maybe what we think is bullshit, they buy it. They're like, yeah, I don't know. I know the guy, he's not a rapist. He just says dumb shit. Maybe that's how they take it. Yeah. I think I have a solution that would satisfy everybody. I think the best thing to do is set a bomb and blow up some of David Cho's art. (laughs) Which is my segue. (laughs) Jeff, do you want to tell everyone what is our main review for this week? Yeah, so... This week, we are talking about the new film, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. The film is directed by Daniel Goldhaber, and it is based upon a nonfiction book of the same name by writer Andreas Mom. And the film follows a group of climate activists as they embark upon a mission to sabotage an oil pipeline. The film stars Ariella Bearer, Christine Frasa, Lucas Gage, Forrest Goodluck, Sasha Lane, Jamie Lawson, Marcus Scribner. Jake Weary, Irene Bedard, it's an ensemble cast. And this movie premiered at TIFF last year. I got to see it this past week. What about you guys? Just saw it this week. It's pretty like limited release, I guess, even in the New York area. Really only a couple theaters showing it. It's really under the radar. I mean, it's harder to see than like, I don't know, Tar or Banshees of Inishir, some of these other movies that were playing the little art house studios and, and just those. Mm-hmm. It, it's harder to see than that. I had to go... I don't know, half an hour to find a movie theater that was playing it. I also saw it this weekend. I mean, um, I'm in a smaller market than you guys. And like, yeah, there's literally only one theater near me that was playing it. So how far did you have to go? Uh, I mean, uh, luckily, I'm in Sacramento for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, Sacramento has this really nice small little like indie art house theater. And it's right in the middle of downtown. So it's not too far from me. It's like 20 miles, 20 minutes with the car. I think this is probably the smallest movie we've covered in a while in a hot minute. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, How to Blow Up a Pipeline is, so far, it's made $340,000. Yeah, I, I just looked that up, yeah. That's pretty wild. That's a take that's like an individual person's salary, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of times, these box office numbers are just so staggeringly high for these big popular movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking about other movies in that range, we've probably covered a couple. I think Possessor was probably not seen by that many people. That is like a $900,000 box office. It's three times that. Although, well, I mean, I mean Possessor's like a also comparison. a couple of years ago. Also, probably Synchronic was probably quite small too. Ooh, yeah, okay. The Benson and Moorhead movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had an interesting experience with this movie. Like a theater experience? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like oh, okay. my opinion of this movie. It has kind of changed over the last couple of days since I've seen it. What did you guys think of the movie? Let's just start from there. Uh, I liked it a lot. I'm ready to blow up some shit. Let's do it. <laughs> you liked it a lot? Okay. He's ready to blow up some art, as uh, we've learned earlier. Yeah. Um. No, I enjoyed it. I don't think the movie's politics are my politics, but appreciated as a sort of thought experiment in, I don't know, okay, if you believe that climate change is this looming disaster- and you also believe that there's no way to avert it through traditional, like, p- 
political means, mm-hmm. then it makes sense to go outside of the system and take some kind of radical, you know, maybe not quite violent action, but radical destructive action. And I think that's an interesting idea. And I think that's the idea behind the book. So for the people who don't know, the movie is based on a book by uh, Andreas Malm, 2021 nonfiction book about how, I guess, violent action in service of climate goals is possible and (laughs) useful, I guess. And so Mm -hmm. the movie takes that and dramatizes it and turns it into a fiction work. That's kind of a vehicle to uh, look at this thesis. Question. Any of you guys read the book? I haven't. It's pretty short, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's very long. We can go read it and then just edit it in later that we read it and we all did the homework. Admittedly, I didn't actually know it was a book before Mm -hmm. watching this. And I mean, I didn't do the due diligence to like look up. I don't know if you guys know. Is there any big differences between the book and the movie? I mean, I think they're completely different. Yeah, they're totally different. Oh, okay. The book is a polemic argument, right? The book is not a plot. There's no plot. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. It's nonfiction and it's like an argument that sabotages a logical outgrowth of climate activism. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. That, that's the thesis of the book. And the movie is like a dramatization of that idea. I listened to an interview by the filmmakers on a podcast, Chapo Trap House. It's like this leftist political humor podcast. If you haven't heard of it, it's like one of the biggest humor podcasts in the world. So they interviewed the filmmakers and the filmmakers were saying that they approached this film as if me and my friends were about to set up to do this. How would we do it? What would we do? Mm-hmm. If we were to read this book and take it seriously, what would the next step be? Mm. And, and that's kind of how they made this movie. Yeah, uh, I guess before we get into like specific plot and more specific character details, I guess I'll give my impression of the movie. Like, I generally enjoy this movie. I, I think it, it's a pretty small scale. It's pretty tight. I do like this cast of characters. I like that the cast is full of actors that I kind of faintly have seen or kind mm-hmm. of faintly recognize. It was refreshing in that way, like not really having like these big name stars or anything like attached to it. And I do like the kind of narrative framework of the story. It takes place, what, over maybe like a day, day and a half. Mm-hmm. It establishes, you know, their goals and like what they're trying to do. But then it uses like flashback to tell their motives. You know, the flashbacks are dispersed out. They kind of make sense when they're coming into the story, diverting away from our main plot to give us the backstory of these characters. Like, I thought all in all, like narratively, I thought it was a well-told story. I really like the structure of this movie. Mm-hmm. Each character or each member of this plot to blow up the pipeline, they get like a little tile card and a flashback on like how they got roped into this act of sabotage. Blowing up a pipeline. Yeah. Uh, blowing up a pipeline, right? I really, really did like that. I mean, this movie feels 15 minutes long. <laughs> I thought. <laughs> like the actual main part of it, you mean? No, well, kind of. <laughs> but like, I, this movie did not feel long at all. I thought mm-hmm. the pacing was great. Mm-hmm. I was pretty fully engrossed with this movie yeah yeah absolutely it's only 104 minutes long right yeah Yeah. it's like from another era right like movies these days Mm -hmm. all feel like they're two two and a half three hours long like even movies we like you know we just talked about john wick you know not too long ago and that's an incredibly long movie right the the most Mm -hmm. recent one um and so 104 is a nice taut tight little movie yeah just finish up my thoughts. I will say that I, I think we'll get into this. I'm not the biggest fan of the ending. And especially the last shot, I think, doesn't leave a great taste in my mouth. So I think it does sour me a little with the ending of this movie. But we can mm. get into a little bit more detail. So, Jeff, what did you think? I came out of this movie not exactly sure on how I felt about it. My first reaction was that this was very 
neat and very tidy for a movie about blowing up a pipeline. Spoiler alert, everything pretty much goes off without a hitch. There's a little twist that's also in favor of these activists. There's no real like ambiguity to the movie, but that is more a feature than a bug, I think, for this. Mm -hmm. The more I think about it, I think it's one of the ballsiest movies in like the last decade or so, just because of its messaging and like the conviction it has behind the messaging. You know, Mm. it has the courage to not play devil's advocate with these people's intentions. There's this 2013 movie called Night Moves by Kelly Reichert. I mean, Kelly Reichert's one of the best filmmakers of her generation, this generation. She's fucking phenomenal. And Night Moves is very, very good too. But it's also about climate activists. But it plays into the ambiguity. There's like this moral compromise that the characters go through about their actions and like how it affects innocent people. But this movie is ballsy as hell. And it sticks to like the thesis of the book. Doesn't matter if you agree with what the movie's trying to say or not, you know, that violent, destructive activism against these institutions that are destroying society. It's not only justified, but it's morally correct, right? That's what it's trying to say. And Mm -hmm. by having the plan go off without a hitch, not having that ambiguity in the movie, it makes it very, very effective in the end. The more I sat with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I know what you mean because I feel the exact opposite. Uh, <laughs> in the sense, what do you okay, mean? So, so I, okay, I think now we're going to get into spoilers. We kind of have to talk about this ending that I've alluded to. And I think what you like about it is what I don't like about it. Well, I started off not liking that, right? Because there's no thorniness to the movie. But I think dramaturgically, that's probably to the deficit of the movie. I fucking sound like Jeremy Strong from Succession. (laughs) Do you guys remember? Because people made fun of him for using the word dramaturgically. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yeah. But I know exactly what you mean. But I don't think you came around to it or I kind of did. I think having you guys talk about the book, what I think the book is trying to come across and say, like, I think it does that, right? I think it does that even before the ending win me over in these characters and like justifying what they're doing mm-hmm. even though it's not right wow to our societal <laughs> norms like it's not right right and that's what the book is trying to say that it well, the is, book is trying right? to say it is right correct yeah and the movie as well right in the movie as well but i can still believe in these characters and believe in what they're doing and believe that they believe this is right without having to tell me and show me like so heavy handed that they are right, that they got one up on the FBI, that they've started this movement where people gently sneak onto boats and like leave signs about why they're blowing up this boat. I just don't know if it really works like that. Just because one happens, it leads to this happy ending of another. I just don't know if the kind of moral message of that sits well with me. Uh, so your problem is just you disagree with the thesis of the movie in the book. I guess essentially, if the thesis in the movie is that these people are heroes, then yes. Yeah, that's absolutely the thesis of the movie and the book, right? Like, you're supposed to think these people are correct, or at least... But I also don't agree, like, these people are correct, and then it leads others to, like, act exactly like they would. These people were non combative in a sense that they didn't want anybody to get hurt. Nobody did get hurt. Their story then spreads to other people. And then it feels like no one's ever going to get hurt by these people's actions. And I don't know 
if that's the messaging I got from it, and I don't entirely agree with that. Like, I don't think one leads to another. I'm not sure where you get the idea that they, like, spawn a successful ideological revolution and convince everyone of the utility of violent action. Like, where does that... The literal ending of this movie is four people get on a boat, make sure there's no one there, they're gonna blow it up, and they leave this sign, like, telling them people why they're doing this, right? Wasn't that Rowan? Like, I think that's just someone from the group of people we know. So I think with, with the mass, it's an implication that these are, like, a whole group of other people. Is it? Okay. I thought I, that That's was... what I read it as. Mm. I read it as, like, it's ambiguous. Like, these are just people that are, like, now leading the charge in the next phase of this activism, right? I never even thought of that. I yeah. read it as it being Rowan. Mm. Because the actual letter is the same as the one. Yeah, it's what that, she used in the beginning. In the beginning, right? Mm. But I mean, you're not wrong to have that takeaway from the movie, right? Because I can definitely see it the other way too, where, you know, this has spawned like, you know, a whole movement and the copycats. They've like adopted the letterhead. Mm-hmm. And I mean, since they're wearing masks, you don't know. What's the part you're struggling with? You don't think that. The movement would stay nonviolent, or yes. I mean, not nonviolent because it is a violent movement. But like, you think that they would inevitably end up hurting or killing people? Yes, I think that's my problem. I think that the message of the movie at the end seems to be that a nonviolent example will lead to more nonviolent examples, and I just don't know if that sits well with me. I also don't agree with the movie's aims, but I'm not as far disagreeing with it as you are. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can put myself in the headspace of the characters of the movie. I do want to talk about the other parts of this movie that I do really like. I think there is a lot of great little set pieces. I do like the character that Forrest Goodluck plays, Michael. Like, I think the kind of socially awkward character that, you know, is our resident bomb maker in the group. I think he mm-hmm. gets like this tension scene in the middle of the movie that I thought was really great. The bomb he's trying to assemble like blows up and then it cuts to his past. So you like you yeah. have that tension of like not knowing what happens to him. I thought that was a really well set up piece for that particular character. Yeah, I mean all the flashback stuff worked for me really, really well. They really have you like put your headspace in the shoes of these characters. Everyone has like a sympathetic backstory and they all seem relatively realistic and I believe that that would drive them to do these things, right? To blow up this pipeline and to sabotage this company you know sochi's mom dies in like a freak heat wave theo is diagnosed with leukemia and she tells a story about like how she used to dance in the rain as a kid and then the rain would burn her dude that's yeah. fucking crazy crazy and then who else uh jake weary's Dwayne character where the government took his land through mm-hmm. eminent domain to build like the pipeline and he's like the resident i don't know a logistics guy because the pipeline's literally on his property and he knows yeah. the ins and outs of the whole operation. And, you know, they even get the Alicia character who plays devil's advocate a little bit. And then she's the one who gets hurt during the uh, actual sabotage. Mm-hmm. The barrel for like the explosive, which must weigh like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Yeah, it weighs like, like 300 yeah, pounds. Crushes her like leg. Really white knuckle stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. hoisting the barrel up you know, with the fraying ropes and then making the bomb, like you said, with the Michael character. Yeah, there's some good stuff in this. It's very much a heist movie, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's very much a, you know, a thief or Elgin's Eleven or whatever. I mean, I heard the filmmakers mentioned Thief as one of their inspirations. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. One of many. Like, the interview is actually pretty good. They clearly know their film very well and wear their, uh, their inspirations on their sleeve. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's really well done. There's a lot of verisimilitude to these bomb-making scenes. You really do, you know, I don't know anything about bomb-making, but you believe that it's real, right? Like, yeah. for someone who doesn't know anything about it, it's very believable. And we get into the nitty-gritty. And as Derek's saying, there's a lot of tension in the scenes of making the bomb and you know, them potentially blowing themselves up. Yeah, like most of the time we see people making bombs in movies. It's, oh, let's plug this in and let's plug this in. And like, we're all good. I like that there's this level of tension in multiple parts of the movie. People are like trying to plug in the right wires and you just don't know if it's going to explode or not on them. And Yeah, the wire's too long, the wire's too yeah. short. Mm-hmm. Uh, mixing the powder, mixing all the chemicals. They put on all this protective gear. Anything could go wrong at any second. It's really high wire tension. Mm-hmm. What year did you guys think this movie was in? Okay, so Ashley was asking me the same thing. It's like, when does this take place? So, I mean, I noticed all the phones were like, well, I, I swear it, that was a Motorola Razor. It looked like a right? Razor, right? It's Rowan's phone specifically because you see her phone a lot. Yeah. And yeah, you see she's using like a Razor or whatever, right? I mean, you're not going to use an iPhone as a burner. So maybe those like, yeah. are like all burner phones, you know, like old phones yeah. that they can just toss and like crush under like a wheel or something, you know, after they're done. So you use like those old cheap ones. Maybe it's harder for the FBI to track old fashioned SMS or something. I don't know, you know? Yeah, I don't think that's true. But I do think that the burner thing makes sense to me. And I think this actually has to be in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. because the use of technology and like the internet and stuff like that in the movie is there in the background, right? Like Forrest is like making YouTube videos of his bomb making. He's like mm-hmm. recording it on his phone yeah, yeah, to upload yeah. like to the TikTok. internet, right? It's yeah, like a TikTok. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, that's how Soshi finds him and recruits him. It's like, oh, your bomb video is getting pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then also towards the end, as uh, Soshi is, spoiler alert, as Soshi's arrested, she has this time release message or whatever that's like, if you're seeing yeah. this message, I have already been arrested by the pigs or whatever. <laughs> and, and, like, <laughs> and it's getting like a million likes on social media. So this is a very modern movie. This is as if it It happened now. It makes sense. It's not really a period thing. The phones threw me off for a little bit too, but I thought about it a little bit. I was like, "Mm." And the filmmaking technique makes it seem a little older than it might seem, you know? Also, like, there's that point where those guys that work for the city or the the electrical company come out because they have to replace the drone, right? The drone went down. So, like, Mm -hmm. the drone itself is kind of telling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about the drone, yeah. All right. To go back to what you said, Amir, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, like, how far exactly are you from the politics of this movie? You know what I mean? You say you don't exactly agree, but you didn't really say much more about it. I was just curious. Um, so I think they don't go far enough. They should blow up some oil executives. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no. So I think where I part ways from the activists in the movie is – in their analysis of the climate change situation. And then, not that I don't think it's happening or anything, but I just don't know. You heard it here first. Amir Terrain. Oh, my God. <laughs> climate change. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, exactly what I was saying. You nailed it. Um, yeah, I think – yeah, I just don't know that I agree entirely with their analysis of the on-the-ground situation, the ineffectiveness of politics, uh, our ability as, like, a global society to adapt to climate change, the best ways to transition to a a non-fossil fuel future. Like, I I just think I have different ideas about how to go about it. Uh, I never would have suggested bombs, that it would not have been on my list. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think tentatively, I'm not an energy expert uh, or an environmental expert, but I think tentatively, I think, uh, you know, looking into something like nuclear power to transition away from fossil fuels might be a better move than 
trying to directly make the jump as we are to uh, solar eco-terrorism. Wind. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are other ways to go about it. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I part from them. But I think a lot of their discussion about the usefulness of radical politics working in tandem with more mainstream liberal nonviolent politics is a real and correct strain of argument on the left. I think a lot of the stuff they're saying was right. Like a lot of it is like, you know, college kids talk about politics in the dorm, but I don't know, a lot of it was right. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a lot of the stuff they're talking about is correct. I think you do need a radical vanguard to work hand in hand with a more palatable movement in order to achieve anything. I do think that that's probably substantially correct. I don't think it means you need to go blow things up. I'm not saying that, but I do think a lot of the stuff they're talking about makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think I can generally agree with that statement. Sometimes you do feel like what's happening now, like how our system works, it's just not working. You feel like you have to do something radical. Like the idea of wanting to do something radical isn't out there in a sense. Well... The idea of doing something so radical as blowing something up, yeah. I think by definition it's out there, but I mean, Vincent's yeah. it's radical. Yes, but, yes, I mean, you're right. You're I, think right. It's <laughs> interesting, I think it's fundamentally a young person's thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the movie's portraying a bunch of people between like, I don't know, you're like right, yeah. 18 and maybe 25 at the very oldest, if not younger. Mm-hmm. Like a couple of them are uh, dropout college students or still in college, whatever. And like their peer age group, right? And then you throw in, like, their backstories, and it's very understandable that this is the mindset they have, right? Not even just the tragedies that befall them, but, like, you know, Sochi's at school, and then there's this slow-drip campus divestment campaign, and she's like, fuck this shit, this shit doesn't work, you know? You can kind of understand that. You can definitely, like, empathize. I mean, it's also interesting that we've kind of, at least last five, ten minutes of the discussion, like, focusing on this kind of environmental aspect to this motive but like you actually think about the characters like that's not their motive right that's very much like i think the sochi sean motive maybe if you mm-hmm. think of someone like theo like she just wants revenge on like the people like fucked her over right Dwayne has this motive like just protecting his family and his land so it's like i, I don't know if i would group this whole group as activists but mm-hmm. like, i can see where that narrative has come from because that does seem like uh ariel barber's character of sochi is the one who like thinks of this plan and like that's kind of her motive but Mm -hmm. i think they're mostly i mean i agree their motivations differ slightly between them i think they're mostly all on the same political band of the spectrum except maybe for Dwayne, who i think is a super interesting character uh because Mm -hmm. of that right i think he's constructed that way to be somebody who is willing to do the same act as them but for different reasons and so yes. it kind of doesn't matter mm-hmm. why as long as he's down for the cause. Yeah. Right. I guess my statement is more about most people's like motives, but I see what you're saying when they're all kind of politically maybe on the same spectrum. Yeah. I really liked Dwayne's flashback, actually, because, yeah. you know, Sean was on the uh, was like the documentary production team, and they're like interviewing Dwayne about his land being taken away and stuff, and he just views this documentary as ineffectual, and then Sean's already on board blowing up the pipeline. So mm-hmm. that's how he gets recruited. I thought that was really, really good. I really like yeah. that little flashback. Yeah, I mean, he basically says he takes this documentary job just so like he can find people, right? Like He's not actually really caring about the documentary. He mm-hmm. cares more about the people that I think this documentarian is trying to capture, who probably have a stake in wanting to blow up this pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. I think you guys bring up a really good point about the Dwayne character that in another circumstance, these people would not mingle, right? Or he would not mingle with these people. But 
they all have this common cause. There was this controversy with this movie where people were going at the filmmakers. You premiered this movie at TIFF, you know, Hollywood and like the film industry and the Toronto International Film Festival. They're in league with big oil. Did you know that? I just think that's funny because this is all like armchair analysis, you know? Like, mm-hmm. why don't you make a protest movie? How about that? You know? <laughs> you're not fucking <laughs> doing how, anything. Yeah. And see how you're going to like get it funded and shown out. To yeah, world, exactly. Right? Yeah. And have the balls to like commit to the message of, you know, the book and the movie that you want to make, right? Have you guys seen Daniel Goldhaber's last movie, Cam? No. no. It was on Netflix. So it's about this sex worker who's like a live streamer and she finds out that there's a doppelganger of her running around doing a live stream so it's like kind of like a horror movie it's really really cool actually it's really really interesting Hmm. check that out really like ahead of its time like talking about you know deep fakes and ai and like it's not even about that but like it seems very very prescient now when you watch it today. Anything else you guys wanted to bring up or no? Oh, I think that's about it. I think we talked about the politics of the movie, uh, talked briefly about the actors who I think were all great and very believable, the verisimilitude of the bomb making, talked about the 100% correct politics of the movie and how we all agree with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say this movie is Don't Look Up for Adults. <laughs> and good. I like that. Dude, Don't Look Up is terrible. Jeff will give you the last word. <laughs> But where can we find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about and you, guys? you can also find him in the movie theaters. The trailer Ooh. quotes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wait, what trailer was that for, Jeff? Sanctuary. Did you see that? Did no. that play out of your movie? The Christopher Abbott, Margaret Qualley movie? Oh, you know what? I got to the theater super late. I didn't watch any trailers. Oh, okay. So I might have missed it. Shit. Sorry, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your first ever pull quote? Uh, On the big screen, yeah. On the big screen? Dude, that's awesome. Congratulations. I do say fuck in the quote. They could only put it on the red band, which I think is pretty funny. But That's so funny. A little Strange Harbor's milestone there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Uh, What about you, Amir? Where can people find you? Um, You can find me watching uh, Don't Look Up. (laughs) (laughs) Not Cam. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm Cam. I'm going to watch that, too. <laughs> but what about you, Derek? <laughs> you can find me at the World's Okayest Photos and Screen Asians Guild on Instagram. If you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get this podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular apps. If you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our show out to more people. Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail, as we did last week. So please send more of that over, and we will read it out on the pod. So feel free to do that, and we will see you guys. Yeah, thanks for writing, (laughs) Greg, and uh, I hope our answer didn't put you and other people off writing in. (laughs) All right, we'll see you guys next week. All right, see you next week, everybody. See you guys then.